So are you saying that I should return the wedding dress that I bought? <laughs> In my denial? You're still, you're like, no, nope, still think it's going to happen. <laughs> He just seems so into it on Wednesday. Yeah. I ordered it Wednesday night! <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys, welcome back to episode eight of Hello and Goodbye. You have Leanna and Jared. Hello. Jared's back. I know, I'm back. I'm excited. <laughs> so we have a great episode for you today. We're going to talk on grief. And I'm actually bringing in my first official guest. And I'm really excited to introduce her a little bit later. But Jared and I wanted to talk a little bit about the week. And, you know, we wanted to address what's going on in the world right now. And kind of talk to you guys a little bit about that as well. So... Um, this is coming out Friday. We're recording Sunday. So we've just now, you know, had a case confirmed in San Bernardino County, which is where we live. And it's like, there's, I mean, it's, you know, it's all over the world. Yes. And no, it it's a major a thing. Deal. It's I'm, a big yes, deal. Yes. And so, you know, I think that there can be a lot of panic in that and there can be a lot of fear. And so, and I don't think that you should feel unjustified in that fear for sure. Or panic. But I think that there are things that you can do to help you along the way. And I feel like Jared's better at explaining that. So there's like the, the two extremes are not helpful, right? One extreme is like, whatever, I'm going to keep doing what I always did. And it's like, well, that's not very smart. And, and also, I think it's one of these things too, like the flu shot, by the way, but that's a whole other thing, where um, if you're young and healthy, then taking precautions, you're not doing that for you. Right. You're actually doing right. that for the sick and the older people that are really vulnerable to this virus. Um, so do it for them, right? To slow the spread of the virus. But so the like, whatever, I'm going to keep doing my thing response is not helpful, nor is the like total abject fear and panic. If you're buying hundreds of rolls of toilet paper, that also is like, you're probably taking away some necessities for someone who's more vulnerable than you. Yeah. So, you know, like make sure you have stuff at home. Sure. Do that. But also try to rein in the, the fear and the panic and just be prepared. Don't be scared. Yeah. And if you have the means or the financial means and you can help someone else that you really know is going to need it, you know, as you know, places are going to close and, and, people aren't going to be working and maybe they're not going to be able to pay their mortgage or whatever is happening. Like, I think this, we could use this as a time to come together as a world and show our kindness to one another mm -hmm. versus the opposite of the fear and panic and selfish behavior. And, yeah. you know, um, I think that there's definitely like a good balance mm -hmm. of that. But it's hard to find that space when Everywhere you go, you're reminded of mm -hmm. it, you know? Yeah, and I made a really hard decision. I had to cancel my yoga retreat yeah. that I had been planning for a year. And we were supposed to go to Costa Rica actually on Friday, the 20th. And um, I just, I knew I needed to make the decision not for myself, but for other people. Because I was kind of leading this group and bringing along people with me, I felt like it would be a very selfish decision to continue along with that and potentially put this small 
kind of area of Costa Rica at risk if we come with it and or to bring it back to Redlands. You know, I think Mm -hmm. if you are able to cancel your travel plans, you should probably cancel them just to think about other people. You know, like you said, like the flu shot isn't necessarily for us. It's or, you know, the self-quarantining isn't for us. It's Mm -hmm. for other people that are really more susceptible to it. So And with it, there's a lot of places that I've seen that are offering a lot of free online material to help people. I'm going to be looking into doing some live streaming of yoga classes for people during this time. I know there's some comedians that are putting out some free shows online. So, you know, use your resources and try and use this time to stay really connected with your family and call your friends. And I've had a lot of my best friends call in and check in. And it's really, I think it can be turned into a positive in so many ways. Yes. Um, And obviously like our hearts go out to you guys that are maybe have someone in your life that has the virus or could potentially, you know, be really affected by it. So we want Mm -hmm. want you to know that we're thinking about you and we just wish everybody health and and safety. Yeah. And I think that's so cool, by the way, like uh, this idea that kind of a really good antidote to fear and anxiety and all these things is community. Mm -hmm. And at this time where rather than going out to a restaurant or a bar or throwing a party with 100 people, you know, but use technology to find that, Absolutely. right? And and that's a great way to FaceTime with people that you love and care about when we're all at home watching Netflix anyway. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that's awesome. Yeah. And I think humor is a good way to deal with it as well. You know, I think some people are getting blasted for making memes about the virus or, you know, and honestly, like, I just think that's bullshit. Like, I think we all mm. deal with pain and fear and anxiety in our own way. And to be able to laugh in a time like this is so important. So if you don't agree with that, that is totally fine. But I had someone personally like attack me on Facebook because I reposted this funny meme about how extroverts are have are panicking because they have no idea what to do and when they're in self-quarantine and she just made something snarky. And I was like, listen, I didn't go to your page and make something snarky. Mm. And don't be passive aggressive towards other people because you're stressed out in your life. You know, we're all going to have to watch ourselves because we're going to be stuck inside with people that drive us nuts for a long time. (laughs) And it's really good reminder not to take your shit out on other people. For sure. So when you feel anxiety, when you feel fear, when you're feeling this thing, try and take a moment and figure out what you're feeling before you snap it your mom or your sister or who your significant other, you know, whoever mm-hmm. it is that you're living with. And shout out to any of you who got quarantined with like a hookup. Oh, wow. That would be interesting. <laughs> that would be, that would be hilarious. Yeah. yeah. That, we, I, I feel like we'll see that like rom-com come out. Oh, in, like, for sure. Two years, oh, right? yeah. Yeah, the yeah. Cr- yeah. The coronavirus. Yeah. Actually, they're on a cruise ship or something. Yeah. Like that, and it's like, well, we can't. No one can leave the boat for I, two weeks. I know. I actually I made a meme that was like, let's turn the coronavirus into a positive. Maybe you'll meet the love of your life while quarantined. And the truth is, is that probably will happen. Wait, can I just say something? I think no. there's a. Darn it. There's something very meta about you saying that because I almost, when I first saw you posted that, I almost read it as like, you're going to meet the love of your life while quarantined and that's yourself. And I was like, I thought it was was like a self-love thing. 
And I was like, wow, that's like kind of deep. Like I was like, I was like, I don't know, is that? But I actually think there's something cool about that. So everyone from me, I hope you need the love of your life while you're in quarantine and that it's yourself. Gosh, that's so corny. But, you know, val- valid. Well, how else are you going to meet the love of your life while you're quarantined? I guess online? If you're quarantined on in a military base, obviously. Quarantine means you don't interact <laughs> with other people. But if, you're, but if you already have the virus and you're wearing all the gear, can't you, like, cozy up with someone else who's wearing it? I don't know. That's gear? funny. <laughs> okay. So, anyway... And then, let's see, we have, we've recording this a couple weeks since our last recording, so uh-huh. Jared's birthday has happened. That's Happy true. Happy birthday to Jared. Thank you. You're now 39. Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's okay. I'm actually, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm good with aging. Like, I feel, I feel like I keep you getting better and 39. better. Hey, thank you. Yeah, I, I think appreciate you do that. too. Yeah. yeah. And then I had kind of a crazy week. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm going to share with you guys. Okay. So um, last Monday, I was at my favorite bar in Redlands, Eureka Burger. (laughs) Shout out. Sponsor. (laughs) And I walked in alone. I had no makeup on. My hair was pulled back. I was in sweats. Actually very canny to where I am Mm -hmm. right now. Thank you. I'm getting the full picture. (laughs) Yeah. I'm so glad. So I see this really cute guy sitting at the bar, tall, poised, totally my type, dark beard, like just so handsome, sitting next to an older woman. And so I was like, hmm, like, is it, I noticed he didn't have a wedding ring on. I noticed the older woman would touch him every now and then, but it didn't seem like flirty. Yeah. So I was assuming like mom or business person. Okay. Okay. So I wasn't going to do anything about it, but he kept glancing at me. Like he kept looking at my way, like, like a lot, like a lot, a lot. So I could tell, okay, he's, he has his eye on me. He's interested. So I leaned to the bartender because I'm friends with the bartenders there. Mm -hmm. And I said, what, what should I do? Like I've been rejected recently by handing out my number and it was kind of brutal uh, do you think I should just get my business card and I can give it to you and then you can give it to him and I'll leave? You know, he's like, yeah, let's do that. Like, totally. So I also gave the bartender my number so he could text me and let me know what happened when he gave him the business card. Because I hate being, like, in the dark, you know? I love that there's this whole production. Oh, like, yeah. Multiple steps. Oh, yeah. Well, <laughs> story of my life. No, it's great. It's great. So I did that and I uh-huh. left. So I gave the bartender my business card. And about 45 minutes later, I got a text that says, hey, I gave him your card. And he said, or he said something like, oh, the girl with the jean jacket who is blonde. And he was like, yeah. And he's like, yeah, she's really cute. So then oh, nice. he said, "He, I hope he asked you on a date. By the way, it would have been cool if you guys were using, I feel like this is like a Mission Impossible plot. Like if he texted you and was like package delivered and like, whatever. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Uh... <laughs> okay. Anyway, I don't go even ahead. want to respond to that. <laughs> he did say, he did say, you know, I somehow ended up with your business card. And I was like, what? I don't know how that happened. So that's like a much more mild version of what you're saying. Oh, oh, the guy, the guy. I was just, you and the bartender were like oh. co-secret agents in this whole plot. Oh my gosh, yeah. that would have been way better. Yeah, that's okay. Man, I'll, next time I'll show up with walkie-talkies. Like, okay. Did you deliver the package? <laughs> exactly. Okay, but, spoiler, but but you just gave us a spoiler. I know, I gave you a spoiler. That, he texted you. So he did text me. So That's exciting. Uh, like 30, 45 minutes later, he did text me. He said, hi, my name is so-and-so. 
I somehow got your business card. Don't know how that happened. Like cute. It was clever. Yeah. So we went back and forth and had really good conversation. And he was like, well, when can I take you out for a drink? Oh, lovely. So we made plans for two nights later because, so he was in town from an out of town. (laughs) So he doesn't live here and Mm -hmm. he was in town for business. And so he was going to be leaving on Thursday. So the only time he could get together was Wednesday night. So we made plans. I was just like, whatever about it. I didn't, I wasn't nervous. I felt really like excited to meet him. And I just figured, you know, he, he lives out of, state so it yeah. doesn't work out it doesn't work out yeah low stakes you're yeah. in the zone See, and i and yeah. i had already seen him so i knew there was attraction so that part was there mm-hmm. anyway um spoiler alert like one of the best dates of my life why <laughs> <laughs> we started at a bar and we just got a couple drinks and um i like almost gagged on some oysters and it was just like <laughs> it was such a strong connection almost Mm -hmm. like 30 minutes in like it was like we started seeing each other and there was laughter we connected we had similar values on things like our body language started opening up towards each other and like I could just tell like he he liked me yeah like he liked me and I really liked him yeah so we were at that first bar for about an hour then we got up and left and he immediately like put his arm around me and it was really sweet and I felt special and then he wanted to check out downtown redlands which takes about 10 minutes so we Uh walked up the street and we went to this new cookie place in town and we got a cookie and like it was i i don't know like i felt whimsical like i felt like i could be myself and i my spontaneous side of me was able to come out and he was it was just like go with the flow and he was down for whatever and then we went to the state and we had dinner and again we had like amazing conversation and then after we went to the falconer and like listened to live music and we were all over each other like cuddling and holding hands and we hadn't kissed yet and it was just like it's like the scene in the movie it it's was, like the montage it was so magical like, yeah. yep, yep. it was magical mm-hmm. and it's like And I said this in a text to him. It's like our souls saw each other. Hmm. And it it was probably the closest I've ever had to feeling love at first sight. Oh, wow. And I thought he was there. Mm -hmm. And as we were leaving, I mean, I'm not saying we're in love and we're going to go get married. I'm just saying that feeling was there. And as we were leaving, I was going to drive him back to his hotel. He stopped in this alley where these beautiful, like, colored umbrellas. And he took, like, a selfie of us. Hmm. Wow. And he's like, yeah. I want to remember this moment. Yeah. And that's like, he. oh, he's feeling it too. Yeah. I'm sure. yeah. yeah. Like I've, I've never had a guy once want to take a picture with me <laughs> <laughs> and let alone on the first date. And like, I have that picture still. And when I look at it, we both look so happy and it's crazy that, you know, that was in a span of five hours or sure. whatever, but it was just a really deep connection. And then we turned the corner and then he was really like sexy and like kind of pushing me up against the wall and making out. Like it was just like, it was so perfect. And so I, I drove him back to his hotel. We went inside for a little bit, made on his couch and then he left. So like no, no boundaries yeah. were crossed. I yeah. didn't stay the night. Taking um, care of yourself. Yeah. Good job. yeah. And then we had talked about getting coffee the next morning. So I woke up, I said, Hey, I don't remember if he contacted me first or I did. I, I don't remember. But I said, do you want, still want me to bring you coffee? He's like, yeah, that'd be great. He's like, let's go get breakfast. I'm like, okay, oh, wow. cool. Yeah. So I picked him up and he had all his luggage or whatever. And 
we went down and sat at a coffee shop and ordered some breakfast sandwiches and played cards and talked and laughed. And he was like, I, he was stressed because this was the morning when everything started being canceled. Oh, okay. So he was super stressed with his business and I felt it and I could feel that stress and there was a little distance there, but I honestly just thought it was his business. Yeah. He's about to get on a plane. And and, he was telling me all these assuring things. Like I, I want to be able to, spend as much time with you as possible before I leave. And I don't want the distraction there. And as the Lyft driver came up, like he gave me this really sweet, affectionate kiss. And I said, I really want to see you again. And he's like, let's make it happen soon. He's like, I'll go home. I'll look at my calendar. We'll set something up. Mm -hmm. Gets to the airport. I sent him a text, like have safe travels stay healthy, you know, let me know when you get home. Now, had, had there been any <clears throat> conversation before he gets on the plane of like, after you get back, like, let's keep talking. Like, this is great. I mean, I like, think that was just assumed. Okay. I think it was just assumed because he, mm-hmm. well, let me finish this and I'm going to go back and now put in some red flags. Okay. So this is me seeing this through my rose colored glasses. Yeah. Right. So well, he of gets, course, I mean, you know, everything you've said so far, like, how could you not? Oh right? yeah. yeah. So He gets to the airport, texts me that he's at the gate, says he misses me and he misses my lips and that he'll see me or talk to me soon. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So I'm feeling secure. Like I'm feeling good. Right. And then I started feeling this gut feeling. Oh, like like right after he takes off. Later in the night. Yeah. And I have a really good gut. Part of that, I think, is my anxiety, but part of it is because I felt his avoidance on the date. Mm-hmm. So I think this guy in the, is... In the morning or both times? Both times. Oh, wow. But Even, not with me. Okay. With past stories he was explaining. Oh, so he was telling you about how he's been in other relationships. So now I'll go back and say the red flags. Okay. So when he was telling me about his past relationship, he was saying that he met this girl... She didn't live there where he lived. So she came for a conference, left. They dated long distance for three months, and then she moved in with him. So he's already taking that situation, which didn't work out, and probably going to put it in this situation, Mm -hmm. right? Because the way that he talked about that situation was he was very bitter towards this girl still. Mm. And I said, well, what was it that she did that really made you so bitter? Yeah. Other than, like, uproot her life to come be with you? Yeah. And so he was like, well, she was just really sensitive. And I just felt like she was a fragile person. And I'm thinking, oh, shit. (laughs) Like, I'm sensitive. Sure. I come across as a strong person. And I think that's why these men who need dependent women are attracted to me. But I'm sensitive. And I have emotions. And I do have anxiety. And so as he was saying that... You are both sensitive and a strong person. Thank you. I mean, like, those are not mutually exclusive. No, I know, but I have that side of me. And I do need assurance. Mm -hmm. So if I'm trying to date someone who is not cool with giving assurance because they view that as a weakness in someone, Mm -hmm. that's going to be an issue. Yep. So that was red flag number one. But I'm like, ah, it's been a year. Maybe he's changed. Yep. Right? So red flag number two is we were sitting at the coffee shop and I started feeling a little anxious and I just said, hey, so I just kind of want to know what our texting conversation will look like after you leave. Okay. Am I going to hear from you? You know, is it going to be hours before I hear from you? And he's like, what are you talking about? Why are you even bringing this up? Huh. 
And it was like he immediately got defensive. defensive. Yeah. It was like he saw that as a clingy, needy thing. And I was needing it more as like, what what can I expect so that I can assure myself? Yeah, just like, hey, where are you at? Exactly. Like, yeah, like, can so we, we talk about where we're at and like where this is going? Not like, oh, it has to be a certain way. Yes. So I just said, never mind, never mind. And he didn't ask me anything further. Hmm. Like, he didn't want to talk about it. Interesting. So I had those two things in the back of my mind. So I didn't hear from him till later that night. And... He sent me a text that says, hey, two things. And I was like, here it is. Here it is. It's coming. Yep. And because I had sent him a text like, hey, I looked into some flights. It's really cheap right now because of everything that's going on. I could come out at this date. And at this time, I didn't know how bad so had he going. had he had you had he talked about like you should come like had he said anything like you should come visit me? Yeah, I already said that. We talked about that at a coffee shop. He was like, I'll look at my calendar Okay. And we'll... Okay. Yeah, right? Okay. I mean, it wasn't like... Would you listen? <laughs> I, I thought I was listening. We had briefly discussed the possibility of me coming out. Got he, it. That he said he would look at his calendar and let me know. Mm-hmm. And we had kind of talked about dates, and he had also said the beginning of April might work. So that had happened at the coffee shop. Mm-hmm. So I went on immediately, me being a proactive and like really into this guy and wanting to see him again. Mm-hmm. And I had like this Southwest credit that I wanted to use. And so I was like, hey, listen, I found these tickets for early April. Again, not really knowing how severe the virus would be at this point, but I could come see you then. It's only 200 bucks. And I said, and it's on me. Like, I want to come see you. So then he was like, hey, two things. And he was like, thank you so much for bringing me coffee. That was really sweet. Blah, 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 blah. You know, honestly, at this point, I think it's too fast. You coming here. I still like you as a person. You're amazing. Yada, yada, yada. Uh, I would love to talk on the phone, but I need to like, like slow down. So just Jared and I discussed this earlier, but just whiplashed me. Yeah. Because I went from rainbows and roses and looking at that picture and getting butterflies and like so excited to see this guy to be like, oh, fuck, he's going to hurt me. Yeah. And I knew that his avoidance was already coming out. And maybe it was he got on the plane and he started thinking about everything and then everything came into kind of fruition in his mind. Maybe he had a girl back home. Yep. Maybe he was seeing someone. That's what I was thinking immediately. Maybe he was seeing someone back home and he did tell me he was single, but you can be dating someone and not be in a relationship and still identify yourself as single. Yeah. Or maybe, I don't know, maybe there's some like ex still in his life or something yeah, like that. Maybe. Right? Yeah. Maybe. So, and here's the thing, like, I don't think I did anything wrong in this situation. Basically, after he said that, I, I was like, well, why did you change your mind? And he's like, it's just, you know, he kind of explained it a little bit and everything was fine. And I sent like the heart emoji or whatever. And then I was like, I'm not, I'm not texting him. I'm not texting him. I'm not calling him. If he wants to see me or text me, he'll make it happen. So next day I get a text from him midday. Hey, how are you? And I'm like, honestly, it's a really shitty day. I'm going to have to cancel my retreat. I'm worried about my mom. You know, it's been really heavy. My anxiety is, is a lot. He's like, wow, I'm so sorry you're going through that. Do you want to talk later tonight? Okay. And I said, yeah, I would love to. So then I'm like, okay, he's showing like some assertiveness within that. He's like, I have some meetings coming up. I'll text you after. I'm like, great. I texted him a little bit later. Hey, I'm all done. 
I went ahead and canceled my retreat. How did the rest of your day go? Don't hear from him. Hmm. I texted him later in the night. Hey, I thought we were going to chat tonight. Is everything okay? Don't hear from him, but he's posted on Instagram. Hmm. Oh, and I responded to one of his stories with like a heart and he saw it and never responded. And then I sent another text before I went to bed. I said, hey, I'm, I'm kind of confused as to why I'm not hearing from you. Can you let me know what's going on? So in my mind, I am just asking for like, hey, just let me know. Like, if you don't want to talk, if you can't talk, just send me a text. Like, hey, I'm so sorry. I got wrapped up in stuff. Yeah. I can't talk tonight. That would be the considerate thing to do. And because I do have that anxiety, you know, maybe I could have waited until the next day and maybe he would have contacted me. But honestly, I don't want to be with a guy like that. Yeah. I don't want to be with a guy that is going to be like, I'm so sorry you had a hard day. I, I Let's talk about it. And then fucking never contacts me. Yeah. When he said he would. And I'm so sick of... The, the not follow through. And, and I know he's probably just dealing with his own shit. Maybe it's another girl that he's fucking or, you know, like it's, yeah. it, he's got his own stuff, but I, I was really hurt. Yeah, I was really hurt. And the next morning I woke up to him putting it back on me that he felt like this was an, uh, an okay situation that I was expecting too much from him too soon and that he felt like it was too much in his life and he had all this stuff going on. And basically that I was kind of just demanding of him too much. And I sent him a few voice texts being like, I feel like my texts are being misinterpreted. Like, I'm honestly wondering, like, is everything okay? What's going on? I'm not hearing from you. You said you would contact me. And I sent him one final voice text that was like very vulnerable. I said, I really, really like you. And I'm not asking you to get married. I'm not asking you to move in. I just want to keep talking to you. And I feel like you're running away from me. Mm. And I'm not trying to make that happen. Anyway, he never responded. I haven't heard from him. And I had a really good cry over it. I think the cry was in, you know, twofold, the canceling the retreat or threefold canceling retreat, everything that's going on in the world. And, and then this guy that I thought for, a you know, the 16 hours that maybe I had met my person. Yeah. And, you know, I think that I got to the conclusion faster though, that I need to run away from these guys that are avoidant. And I guarantee you, he will reach out to me again at some point. Oh, I'm sure. Or, you know, maybe he won't. I don't know if he's listening to this episode right now. You know, if mm-hmm. you are, like, I hope you learned something from it. <laughs> I hope you learned your lesson. No. Uh, no, no, I think you're right, though. I mean, I, I think a few, like, one, uh, good for you for having a good cry. Like, I think crying is healing and it mm-hmm. gets a bad rap. Yeah, I mean, I also think I can really relate to what you're saying because I know that feeling that, like, that intense sort of intimacy right off the bat feeling. And like you and I talked about, like that's like a drug Mm -hmm. and it's like the greatest, most powerful drug on earth. And when you're in that with somebody, it's so intoxicating and you kind of lose all perspective and you're like, oh my gosh, magic is real. Like this is it. But it's also sort of temporary and you can have that super intoxicating, super intense experience with somebody 
and you still don't know them and you still don't know mm -hmm. whether you can trust them. When I started recognizing that in my own life and doing things differently, there was a couple times where I'd be like on a date or getting to know somebody and we were really getting caught up in the magic of it. And then I would kind of recognize it and try to like sort of step out of that and talk about something practical or, or something like that. Kind of like what you did of like, hey, so when you leave, like, what does this look like? And I've had experiences where the other person like totally shuts that down too because they don't want the spell broken, mm -hmm. right? Like they just need to be in this like fun, magical moment. Mm -hmm. And that's a different thing from actually building something substantive with something. Absolutely. And for me, I wasn't playing this game of like, I'm searching for this magic. I honestly just met this person that I adored. Yes. No, yeah. Within, you were searching for the yeah, real thing. Yeah. And in the magic, you're like, oh my gosh, this is it. But yeah. I think certain people are sort of addicted to that and they sort of seek that out and they create that with people. And then when you've had this intense intimacy and intense vulnerability with someone, then you wake up the next morning and you're like, oh no, you know, and then those people who are creating this then pull back. Yeah. Well, and that's it leaves the avoiding everyone. anxious yes. behavior. Right. And it just rips the rug out from yeah. under you. Yeah. And I mean, he, he is very avoidant, very mm -hmm. avoidant. And, and I don't mean that in a negative way, but there's obviously things that he needs to work on to be able to have emotional intimacy with someone. And to be honest, I just don't think he was ready for me. Yeah. I think that I... Well, I don't think he was ready for anyone, right? It's not... Because he what he was wanting was to have this kind of magical night, right? With someone and kind of... And I've done this before too, like playing boyfriend-girlfriend. Mm -hmm. You know, like, I, I feel like when I was in my 20s, there was times where I would be, like, away somewhere at someone's wedding. And you meet someone else at the wedding. You know, you're both from different places, but you kind of have this fun little romantic weekend together. And mm -hmm. it's a wedding, so, you know, like, love is in the air anyway. But that's okay when both people kind of know that this is just kind of a fun thing. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what he was wanting, and, and he wasn't ready for whether it was you or anyone or he something wasn't ready more sub for, substantial for two than that. girls at the same time. That's true. Right. Or, and I, and I think a lot of times, right. Part of what's so intoxicating about that drug is that it's an escape. Mm -hmm. It's an escape from our real life, from mm -hmm. what it feels like inside of our head. Most of the time, that's why it was like, I was in a pattern of seeking that out and mm -hmm. doing that over and over for like a lot of my like mid to late 20s. Mm -hmm. The other thing that's so interesting to me, though, is that he gets on the plane, you have this gut feeling, some texts get exchanged, and you wisely go, you know what? I see where this is going, so I'm not investing, right? I've already been rebuffed a little yeah. bit, so I'm not going to make myself further vulnerable, put myself out there more. I'm just going to leave it totally in his court, and let's see what he does. And then you exchange a few texts and he goes, want to talk tonight? And you immediately go back in and like disregard all of those doubts that you had. Well, right, and start chasing him again. Well, because he said he wanted to talk and I was like, yeah, that'd be great. And then he didn't follow through. Yeah. But this is the same guy who didn't follow through before. What I'm saying is I have so much compassion for you because you got your hopes up all over again well, and got I, like what was i supposed again. to say no i don't want to talk no it would just be like but but when someone who's already sort of like done an about face on you says that you go 
all right, great. Yeah, I'd love to talk. But then in your mind, you're like, well, we'll see. We'll see if he shows up this time. I think I was just, I think I was just like, oh, he reached out and he cares about me and he's saying he really feels for me and he wants to talk with me and he said he'd text me back. So then I got sucked back into the vacuum. Yeah. Well, he gave you the magic. He again. gave me the magic. Like a little again. dose of the magic yeah. to get you like lured back in. Yeah. Yeah. That was a big bummer. That it was a, a bummer. big bummer. Well, and along with your yoga retreat, and I know that's something that was professionally. Something really exciting for you and also personally to go on vacation and, and be with people that you care about in this awesome place and stuff like that. Yeah. But I firmly believe that there will be many other exciting opportunities to come your way. I th- Maybe in a year, we'll be in Costa Rica on a Hello Goodbye retreat. Actually, I do have new dates for my Costa Rica retreat. Oh, that's so exciting. February 6th through 13th, 2021 in Costa Rica. Same resort. I'll be updating that information on my website, www.lianajoneyoga.com. You can also find it through my Instagram at underscore Leanna Joan. So um, yeah, if you guys are interested in that, hit me up for more information that's coming in February. And yeah, I mean, I, I know that all of this is not about me. All of it is not about me. And so I'm trying to keep that in perspective that while I may be grieving the loss of this huge business adventure that I was going to take and grieving the loss of this person, because this one is a little different. It, it didn't feel like the loss of a situation or the loss of, it really felt like the loss of this person. You know, while I may be grieving those things, there's so many people that are going through much worse than I am. And I think it's always good to keep that in perspective. It's nice to have that perspective, but I also think that's something a lot of people do to themselves and to other people that's not really fair to go, well, you know, I shouldn't be complaining or feeling bad because other people have it so much worse. Like, I think it's important to go, no, suffering is still suffering and and to honor that and accept that. Absolutely. You have to feel the feelings that you're feeling. Do you have to feel the feelings that you're feeling? I love that. Does that can work? We make, can we make hello goodbye t-shirts? Feel, yes. You have, you have to, to feel, feel the feelings, the feelings that you're feeling. feeling. <laughs> okay. Well, sorry that this intro is so long. We figured we'd probably go a little long today since we all probably have a little bit more time on our hands right now. And, sure. And I think we're going to go ahead and jump into our main part of our episode. All right. So our guest is a professional chaplain for a health organization whose name she's chosen to keep confidential for privacy reasons. She has a Master's of Divinity from Northern Seminary just outside of Chicago and specializes in providing spiritual counseling in an interfaith setting to those who are facing grief and loss, whether it's due to debilitating illness, terminal diagnosis, or the death of a loved one. She is also the founder of Reserve Ground, a local business that provides efficient services for weddings and funerals. She's also asked me to read this disclaimer. Uh, She is trained as a spiritual or pastoral counselor. She's not a licensed therapist. And she also wants to mention that her views on this podcast are her personal views and don't reflect the views of the health organization she works for. Please welcome Krista Messam, who's also my sister. Yay. Thank you for that lovely introduction. You're welcome. I did a good job reading what you wrote. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, you did. I'm like, write something cool. (laughs) Oh, go ahead, Drew. I was going to say, I'm very excited to have your sister. Uh, She has obviously expertise in this area, but also is a 
just a wise person and like someone that you would want to go to. Absolutely. For help in this stuff. Yeah. I think my sister has like, you've picked the perfect job because you're very, like, you're probably one of the best listeners. Like you sit there, you listen and you know, you don't, there's no judgment that comes from you. And so I think it's, yeah, I'm really excited to have you on and to talk to us about what you do with grief and what you do with your job and how that could be applicable to relationships and things that maybe we're going through. Thank you. You're welcome. (laughs) (laughs) I'm excited to be on this podcast. And I think what you guys uh, talked about earlier in the introduction was really a beautiful way to introduce the topic of grief, especially grief as it looks in relationships and dating and, and even... A canceled trip to Costa Rica. Or the coronavirus. <laughs> coronavirus. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. The kind of grief that I deal with on a on a daily basis is more around the topic of illness and suffering due to the death of a loved one or your own kind of terminal illness. But what I notice about grief in general is that it's a very it's a broadly experienced thing. And it's experienced not only when you lose a loved one, but also when you go through a breakup, when you um, are looking forward to a vacation that get canceled. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I think there's a lot of... I was talking to a girlfriend today, and she was saying that, you know, she had been working so hard, and she had all these trips planned, and they are all canceled. Mm-hmm. And she is depressed, mm-hmm. you know? I think especially right now we're all kind of feeling this this grief of a lot of loss that we're experiencing you know some of us are some of you are maybe experiencing actual you know human loss through this and mm. you know some of us are experiencing the loss of maybe finances the loss of vacation that we were going on the loss of our freedom you know so there's a lot of probably there's a lot of grief going on right now yeah so you're you came at the perfect time i did yeah and i i think that so just up front grief there's a lot of shared experience in grief there's a lot of things that we can relate to in one another's grief and also grief is a very unique thing And it's uniquely experienced by each of us, depending on who we are as a person, depending on the circumstance, the type of loss we went through. But essentially how I like to define grief is it is our natural human response to any sort of change and the impact of that change in our lives. So it's not just the actual loss, but it's what that loss means the the lost dreams the lost hopes the lost expectations the lost the future mm-hmm. losses that yeah. mm-hmm. are connected with the present loss mm. yeah because it's a lot of times it's like well what am I going to do now mm-hmm. or yeah it's this what now question mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's and it can be also a loss of a sense of who we are of what was giving us a sense of meaning or purpose or something we're looking forward to doing yeah. a way that we identify ourselves it can change that. And suddenly we're feeling, well, now what? Now what's my purpose? Or now, you know, I had all my energy focused in this direction and now I have to change it. Yeah, (laughs) and it's so easy to have our identity get caught up in relationships. Or another thing, and this has been true for me and it's true for a lot of men, is like have your identity get caught up in your job and your profession. Mm -hmm. And then when you lose that, like that can be so destabilizing. 
Exactly. Destabilizing is a really great word for what grief does. Hmm. Well, yeah. And I mean, I had my identity in, you know, marrying this guy (laughs) that I had met in five hours. (laughs) I just got taken away from me. I mean, I saw us having babies together. (laughs) No, I'm joking. But no, I mean, with anything. But you're right, though, in that with that, there was this hope. Yeah. Like I, I met him and there was this hope that, oh, my gosh. Maybe I just met my person. Mm-hmm. And then that hope was like, yeah, no. Nope. Yeah. Well, it's like, uh-huh. it's like you can even <laughs> grieve. You go in for a job interview and you're like, oh, I nailed it. And you're like, they really liked me and I really liked them and I'm going to get this job and then it's going to be great. Like, oh, should I get a new apartment? Like, you know, all these mm-hmm. things start happening and then you don't get yeah. it or you don't mm-hmm. hear from them. I think that's a really good example of like also that can relate to dating right is mm-hmm. that what you're saying yeah but also that makes me feel less crazy <laughs> yeah because you're like even with any hope you're thinking of the future you're thinking like i could get a new apartment i could get a new car after an interview right yep. and a date is like an interview you're going on this date and it's like oh my gosh i could see this person in my future and you get excited and you start to make like these plans you mm-hmm. know yeah i think Grief involves unmet expectations Mm -hmm. and then also losing the meaning that went with the thing that you're, that you lost, Mm. you know, like the meaning of, I just met my soulmate and Mm -hmm. what that means to you, Mm. you know? Mm. Yeah. And I think sometimes like if we think about a marriage or whatever, sometimes there's so much baggage with that of, oh, there can be so much self-worth tied up in that. Like the meaning can be like, oh, this means like I'm an okay person that I'm married and committed and whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And then, so then not only do you lose the person, but you lose all of those meanings too. Yeah. And you, and you lose, like you said, Leanna, the hope or the dreams Mm -hmm. that went with that. So yeah, I think it's important not to minimize grief. Like you had mentioned earlier, Jared, um, it is good perspective wise to remember that we're not the only ones in the world. There are other people in the world who are suffering and going through grief, but it's also important not to invalidate our grief because mm-hmm. suffering is suffering. And if we're, if we're grieving, we're suffering. Mm-hmm. And it's important to take care of ourselves. And we'll talk a little bit about what that looks like. So what are the, like, what does grief look like? Like, what are the different stages of it? So there's a lot of debate around stages of grief. Elizabeth Kubler-Ross is most well-known, she, she's the one that kind of introduced the idea of the five stages of grief that she later said she regrets the direction that that ended up taking, that it wasn't meant to be seen as a progressive thing, that you go from one stage to the next. Oh. And also that it was specifically applied at that time to someone who is dying. And their mm. personal grief experience. Mm. Oh, so they're dealing with the impending loss of their own life. Exactly. There are a lot of similarities. Obviously, grief, like I said earlier, there are some shared experiences in grief, which is why grief groups can be so powerful because you can relate to each other's experience of grief. But depending on what it is you're grieving, your grief can look very different. So I think it's still good to look at the stages that she described as long as you keep in mind that you're not going to, when you're grieving, you're not going to be progressively going from one stage to the next. You could be experiencing all five of those stages and more that are not even named in one day Mm -hmm. and then go cycling back and kind of more like a ping. Yeah. It's like you can't, even though you're going to go through these stages, 
you can't put yourself in the box yes. that you're going to go through each of these stages. Like there may be stages that you don't go through, right? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, you may not relate to it at all, but for some people it's helpful because something that's helpful for anyone who is grieving is to not feel alone in their grief and to not feel crazy <laughs> mm -hmm. that, Hey, this is normal. What you're experiencing is normal. And that's something that the five stages can do because it's, it's descriptive. It's saying, okay, lots of people experience this. So mm -hmm. the five stages that Elizabeth Kubler-Ross lists are denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. A lot of people initially experience denial or shock. Mm -hmm. And I think that is a good thing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it is a, actually, it's a human. Actually, I heard someone describe it as a, like an airbag in a car. Mm. Oh, it's like a safety mechanism. It's a safety mechanism to protect you from the full impact that you may not be ready to handle mm. yet. Interesting. That could cause a lot of damage if it comes all at once. Mm -hmm. So it's it's like your individual body's way of like, oh, let's take this one step at a time. Isn't sort that like when like bot like with physical stuff, right? Like that's your body going into shock. I think mm -hmm. sometimes, right? Mm -hmm. Somehow it's like a similar thing. So are you saying that I should return the wedding dress that I bought? <laughs> In my denial, you're still you're like no, nope, still think it's gonna happen. <laughs> He just seems so into it on Wednesday. Yeah. I ordered it Wednesday night. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So, yes. there. I think it's important to be patient with yourself and also patient with others who you may see more clearly that they're in denial than they see. You don't want to force someone out of denial too early. Mm -hmm. Or you want them to kind of come naturally out of it unless it's causing... Um, Unless they're, you know, causing harm to themselves or others. Sure. Which is always the parameter. Mm -hmm. Right, right? Mm -hmm. So you want to give yourself and other people as much freedom to grieve in the way they need to grieve as possible, unless it, they're causing harm to themselves or to another person. Um, okay, so the next stage, anger. Everyone, so when if we apply this to the world of dating, you kind of talked about it when you realized that uh, it was like a oh crap moment, and then it was a what the <laughs> you know yeah like, why yeah, did like, you... why did this guy do this yeah, right yeah, yeah 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 no absolutely I mean it's so funny <laughs> because I literally went through all of these steps like <laughs> it was like the denial that he was avoidant yeah. I'm like no 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 it's fine yeah. he'll be fine and then like the anger when I didn't hear from him I'm like what the fuck like you can't do that yeah well mm. and you were angry even before that because you were like fine. You take the lead. I'm not doing anything. That's true. Right? Yeah. And then there was a little bit of bargaining mm -hmm. there when you were like, okay, oh, well, if he reaches out to me, then I'll be vulnerable again. Mm. Yeah. That's the anxious part. <laughs> that's the bargain, <laughs> the anxious bargaining. Yeah. Right? Wow. Yeah. yeah. And there's nothing. So, the, so, by the way, if you guys don't know what we're talking about, we talk about it in like every episode. So if you follow this podcast, you've got to read Attached. It's such a great book. Yeah. And it talks about... The three attachment styles, anxious, secure, and avoidant. And avoidant, anxious are very, uh, tend to be drawn to each other because it has that passionate, like, mm -hmm. cat and mouse chase. So anyway, that's kind of what we're referring to that with yeah. that. And I second that. Great book. So another, I think, way that you demonstrated bargaining was even just in the follow-up text. Like, hey, haven't heard from you. 
what's going on? Can you explain? Because you, you are in a sense like, okay, well, if I, if I just ask him in a nice way <laughs> what's going on, then maybe he'll respond and let me know what's going on. Mm-hmm. You know? See? Which, and I think if he were a secure person, he would have. There, I, and that's, I'm not judging. You no, no, I that, know you're, uh, no, I'm I know. I'm just describing what was <clears throat> happening, yeah. which you had every right to do, mm-hmm. you know, because you were wanting some answers. Mm-hmm. But yeah. it, yeah. Well, it's so interesting because I always think of when I've heard the five stages of grief and I think of bargaining, I'm always thinking of grief of like the death of someone close to you. And that the bargaining you're doing is like with God. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. Sure. And that's, that's often how it's described when it, when it's applied in the situation of how Elizabeth Kubler-Ross initially mm-hmm. talked about it, which is when you're dealing with your own terminal illness, mm-hmm. there is a bargaining that can happen in your relationship with God. Hey, mm-hmm. God, if you heal me from this disease, you let me live. I promise I will go to church every Sunday. Yeah. I, will be, I will be a good person for the rest of my life. I won't do, you know, mm-hmm. I won't. I'll oh, wait. Okay, hold on. Did we miss that bargaining was the third stage? No. Well, I kind of went into it because oh, we okay, about how you oh, okay, yeah, we like shifted from oh, your shifted anger from, to okay, your bargaining. Okay, I just want to make that clear. Yeah. So now we're talking about bargaining. Yes, we. Unless anyone wants to go back to anger, <laughs> I think anger is pretty. Strange. Well, actually, one thing that's funny to me about anger that I notice all the time is people will do this thing where they'll go, "Well, I'm not mad that this person broke it off with me. I'm mad about how they did it." Right. They're right. like, oh, well, or like, or like, well, they said this or, or they, they yeah. did it this way or whatever. And in my mind, I'm always like, no, you're just mad because you're hurt. Like yeah. you're angry, you know, yeah. but people, I think that's protective too. Yeah. Kind of like in the same denial way of like, mm-hmm. well, I'm, I'm not ready to just say like, I'm really fucking hurt and really angry at this person. They're like, it gives you a certain self-righteousness of like, mm-hmm. sure, well, it's fine that they broke it off, but they shouldn't have said this or they shouldn't have done it that way. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And I, I think it's it's healthy to go through anger. And it's usually, you see, like, it's when you start to feel like everything that that person did is horrible. <laughs> or yeah. you, ha- you almost have to villainize them. Like you said, you have to come up with a reason for to justify your anger. Mm-hmm. And that's where I would say, no, you don't have to come up with a reason to justify mm-hmm. your anger. You're angry, like you said, because you're disappointed. You're yeah. hurt. You're you were looking forward to something. That and isn't anger happening. is an okay emotion to exactly. have, and that yeah. may be why some people try to look for a reason to justify it or dismiss yeah. it. But yeah, it's good to let yourself be angry. I'm really working on it. I I think I've done a better job as I've been like angry with all these different guys that you guys have heard about and are exhausting my life. But I have gotten better about stopping and being like, why am I angry? Where's the vulnerable part of me and communicating that vulnerability versus, you know, saying like, fuck you in a text or whatever, because that's not going to accomplish anything. And it doesn't feel good to do that. And Mm. so like this last text that I sent this guy was, Hey, I like you. And you know, if this is one sided, then that's okay. And Mm. I can move on. And, you know, instead of me being like, I can't believe you're doing this to me and you blah, 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 blah. And instead I made it about me and what I was really feeling and why I was feeling that way. 
you know. And that shows a lot of courage and self-awareness on your part. And I think a lot of people have a hard time doing that, especially in the middle of grieving. Mm -hmm. I think it is important to be aware of what you're doing with your anger. Because anger in and of itself, the feeling isn't bad, but it's it's how you're channeling it, how you're what you're doing with it essentially. Are you blaming, shaming, criticizing someone, or are you owning Yes. Mm-hmm. You know, what is the reason here I'm angry? It's mm-hmm. because it's you're owning the vulnerability. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I think ownership is really, really important. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think staying in that anger place keeps you stuck. Mm-hmm. Like, it almost keeps you in this denial place where you're just like, oh, if they didn't, like, blah, blah. It's like, well, they did. And, you know, and I think moving forward from that anger place is so important. Like, in my meditation, in the teaching of the type of meditation that I do, you know, it talks about, like, the first one to suffer from your anger towards anybody or anything is you. Mm-hmm. Like, you lose the balance of your mind. And, and we know this physiologically. Like, your insides tense up and your blood pressure goes up and, and your immune system goes down. And sometimes it's good and necessary and appropriate. But it's also healthy and healing to move forward mm-hmm. through that. Right? Yeah, and if you can really tap into why you're feeling the anger, I think that's a first step in, in mm-hmm. moving out of it. Mm-hmm. I also think though, you know, to your example of rather than sending the angry text, sending the more honest and vulnerable text, I, I think that's super healthy and like very big of you. But I also think that there's times where moving past your anger doesn't necessarily mean reconciling with the person. Sure. Right? Like sometimes it's yeah. just like, I'm going to put this down put these angry feelings down because I don't need them anymore and I'm ready to move forward. But I'm also not going to make myself vulnerable to this person or let this person back in my life in any way. Mm-hmm. Right. I think, I think it's sometimes it's important to still do that, but also move forward in inside yourself from that. Anger. Yeah. I think it probably just depends on where you're going to get your closure from. Like yeah. what feels the safest to you? Does it feel safer to do what you're doing, what you're saying to do, mm-hmm. to put it away, be like, I'm not going to allow this person in life. Or for me, it was this, I knew that I needed to say this as a sense of closure because I wanted him to have the facts and then he could do with it what he wanted. Mm-hmm. But I was sealing it for myself. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You were being true to yourself and honest with yourself and with him. Mm-hmm. and to the degree that you felt comfortable. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, yeah, just yeah. being aware. Well, no, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm saying that just because having known people that have been in, like, very abusive relationships, oh, right? Oh, yeah, it's like, absolutely. Yeah, like, and I don't know, you tell me, Krista, like, like, because that can be, moving on from my anger can be different from forgiveness. We'll, we'll get into that. Oh, okay, great. <laughs> we'll okay. get into that a little later. We'll talk mm-hmm. about some of the things that hinder your grief process. Mm. Okay. 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 So we hit, so we hit denial, anger, bargaining. Mm-hmm. Well, can I just ask, so what, so, cause we talked about the idea of bargaining being with God, but like, I guess in your work, I mean, is do you, is that the way you see it mostly is with God or is it person to person? Bargaining is a hard one to see. It's, it's mm-hmm. very, it can be a very personal thing. It's any form of, if I change this, can I change the situation? Yeah. You know, if I change this action or something about myself or I... It's a way of trying to regain a sense of control. Yeah. Okay. Well, and that makes sense because I've seen that all the time in close friends of mine that have gotten... And family members who have gotten divorced or who have like had very long relationships. And it's like, 
they've been fighting and working through so much difficulty for a long time. And then one person says, I'm leaving. And then the other person's like, no, 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 I'll do anything. Yeah. Right? I'll do whatever it is that you want. Yes, like, that's, yeah, that's I'll change everything example. you don't like about me. Whatever you don't yeah. like about me, I will change it to make you happy. Yeah. I've had that experience where I didn't want a guy to, to leave me. And I was like, what, what do you want? What do you want from me? Like, I'll do it. Yeah. So I think that's, that's a perfect you know. example. Okay, so yeah, I think that those are really good examples of bargaining. The next stage that Elizabeth Kubler-Ross mentions is the stage of depression, which essentially is when you get to the place of hopelessness, <laughs> or you, re- you realize you have no control over the situation. Mm. Sorry, I'm smiling and laughing because I literally went through this whole thing. I know, I'm not saying it's a perfect story intro for like, this topic. Except for in like 48 hours. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you probably jumped around a little bit in between. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. But I definitely, yeah. Anyway, yeah. Keep but going. Yeah. And that's where the tears come. Yeah. Right? That's mm-hmm. where, and that's where it's important. I mean, you said earlier, Jared, um, what was the phrase you guys wanted to make a t-shirt out of? Oh, uh, make sure to feel the feelings that you're feeling. Yeah, yeah. feel the feelings. Feel the, feel the feelings that you're feeling. Okay. Mm-hmm. So that is how you get through grief. Hmm. You have to feel the feelings that you're feeling. You have to go through, you have to give yourself permission to feel. So what happens if you don't do that? You get stuck in your grief and it comes out in other most likely destructive ways. Such as? It can come out in never being able to really move forward in a relationship with someone. It could come out in your health and having mm-hmm. health complications. Mm-hmm. Um, well, it can affect all, your yeah. life. Yeah. Also, the things that people do to avoid feeling the feelings are often right. really unhealthy, right? Mm-hmm. Alcohol and drugs being like Sex. a huge one, right? Sex, any kind of like, um, like compulsive or, or like process addiction right like i mean even exercise workaholics Mm. all sorts of things yes sex and love and dating and those things are huge and i think the hard thing is i might know something about this from my life is you can't numb just the bad feelings right you sort of end up numbing all of them yes you know and that's and i think when you're you know when you talk about if you're avoiding this you're avoiding something big in your life a big way it comes out is not being able to actually form deep connections with people. Like, yeah. I really can relate to that because I've been there, you know. Yeah, in order to... So, when we're grieving, it's because we're hurting and we're feeling pain. And what we do with that pain is really important, right? So, a lot of people, it's very normal, is you put up a wall to try to not feel that pain either in the present or in the future. Yeah. When you do that, you may prevent the bad stuff from coming in, but you also prevent the good stuff from coming in. So I was looking this up because as you were talking, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is the quote that I used in my very first episode. Mm-hmm. So my very first episode, I quoted Brene Brown. And the quote is, we cannot selectively numb emotions. When we numb the painful emotions, we also numb the positive emotions. Exactly. Yeah. You yeah. know, mm-hmm. and it's, I think what's hard about it though, is that's the work. Yeah. Like that is the work of being yeah. able to put yourself through feeling those emotions, which is painful as fuck. Yes. Yeah. You know, and it's hard and it's demanding, 
But I will say though, in the work that I've been doing and allowing myself to to grieve these little situations that are having in my life that which ultimately I think is still grieving the loss of my divorce. I think that comes into it. Mm-hmm. But as I allow myself to feel it, you know, I'm becoming this woman that some guy is going to be really lucky to have someday, mm-hmm. you know, because I communicate how I feel. I'm vulnerable. I am working on myself. And, you know, I think that the people that aren't doing that, those are the people that are running. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And you really can't have an intimate or safe relationship with someone without vulnerability. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you can't be in touch with your vulnerability if you're putting up walls. Mm-hmm. Well, and you can't, there's no intimacy without no vulnerability. Intimacy. Exactly. Right? And like, the vulnerability is the price of the ticket to ride the ride. Yes. Yeah. So the image that's coming to my mind is if you think about yourself and giving of yourself in a pure way, you know, loving from a pure place, from a vulnerable place. Mm-hmm. When you are hurt, the tendency is to put up a, a wall so that you're not giving of yourself and no one can give to you, right? Mm-hmm. But when you're allowing yourself to grieve, you're, you're letting the water flow through. In mm-hmm. a sense, you're, mm-hmm. taking, you're putting down, you're not building the dam. You're just letting the feelings go. And, yeah. and, and that way, now you have space again. <laughs> To Mm -hmm. receive and give love. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm just thinking about, like, this is so hard to do. Yes. This is, like, the worst one and the one where I feel like I spend most of my time. Right? Mm -hmm. But as we're talking, I'm also thinking about, you know, a a lot of the tenets of mindfulness and, like, things that I've been taught through mindfulness training, like... Because the idea of feeling the depression, feeling the hopelessness, I think... Just feeling that is okay and tolerable, but if we're putting on top of that, like judging ourselves, like I shouldn't be feeling this way, or why am I not over this already, you know, so that can get layered on top of it. Now that's a whole new bunch of pain that Mm -hmm. you don't need, that you're just putting on top of yourself with self-judgment. Another one that I feel like happens a lot and that I've done a lot is rather than just feeling the grief and the, the depression and hopelessness of the grief, I'm try- desperately trying to push it away because I'm afraid it's too much for me. Yeah. Like, I'm like afraid it's going it to overwhelm, overwhelm me. Consume and, you. And yes, and that I, you, I will be destroyed yeah. and, like, cease to exist, right? Like you Well, know. and what I've learned through therapy, and I'm sure you've learned this as well, but when you really sit down and you're like, okay, I'm going to let myself feel this emotion... You only want to take it so far. Like you're eight, give yourself permission to step out of it if it's too dark. Yeah. Like if it becomes, you know, you don't have to do it all at once. And, and my therapist was telling me I was, I was going to write a letter recently. And she said, if it becomes too much for you, like make sure you have a friend to call, Mm -hmm. um, step away from it, go outside, go on a walk, take yourself out of it. So I think we often, we kind of put up this pressure that, okay, we got to do it. Like we got to get it out. No, you can do it in stages. Yeah, yes, you true. know, and that's okay. 
Yeah, and that's, you know, I, I'm so glad you said that because having that radar of like, are you harming yourself or potentially yes. harming someone else? And, and exactly. Because I think any form of depression and hopelessness can be really scary and absolutely. can lead to suicidal ideation and things like that. And mm-hmm. absolutely having a safety place, having a support system that mm-hmm. you know of is so important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, you don't have to do it alone. And we, we can talk about that, you know, the ways to cope with grief and how to mm. how to grieve in a healthy way so that you're not harming yourself or others. A social worker, actually, that I work with, she had a, a she had given some really good advice to someone who was kind of afraid to go down that path of feeling the fear and the, the depression and the angst about what he was experiencing in his life. And she said, put a time limit on it. You know, mm. give yourself an hour to think all the fears, feel all the feelings, and then after the hour is done, distract yourself with something else. Yeah. Mm. So, yeah, it's a, you can put boundaries around it. Yeah. You know, that work for you. Yeah, and it's really interesting. So, I, I love how we're all just talking about things that other people have told us. So, <laughs> so there's, this, there's this comedian named Pete Holmes. Who, oh my gosh, I love him. Yeah, have you, I did Did I send you You sent me, yeah. Right? And he talks about this idea of like stepping into the witness. Yeah. Right, and having a recognition of your own, let's say depression, right? And he, he describes like that he, in his life, he copes with really deep sort of sudden depressive episodes. And that when he's able to, he can kind of like look at it and be like, wow, this is, this is a big one. You know, and, and having that kind of like, ability to mm-hmm. see it in a non-attached way like still a caring way like a bird's eye objective yeah way right and and this idea of sort of stepping into the witness and sort of looking at it rather than being overcome by it mm-hmm. and, and carried away by it i think is so is helpful to me mm-hmm. yeah you don't in some of the reading that i've been doing recently and i wish I could remember specifically who was talking about this, but I've been listening to so many different books, I can't remember where I learned what. But it, it talked about the idea of not personalizing your feelings in the sense that you're, what you're feeling doesn't define who you are. Mm. They're yeah, just, that's so great. They're just your feelings. Yeah. And it, you want to be aware of them, you want to give yourself permission to feel them, but yeah. you know, they're not you. Yeah, your thoughts and your yeah. feelings are not you. So the way I heard it described, which I love, is there's mindfulness therapists who, when they describe what they do, is they say, okay, take this book and press it up against your nose, right? And then this book represents all the bad thoughts you have about yourself mm-hmm. and about your life and whatever. And it's like, how does this feel? You know, and the person's like, doesn't feel great. Like, all I can see is this book, and it's uncomfortable, and I can't see what's going on around me. And then the idea in mindfulness therapy, and in any kind of mindfulness training, is not sort of arguing with the thoughts or whatever, pushing them, but it's it's a learning to then kind of hold the book in your lap. Hmm. And like, that stuff's still there, and sort of recognizing it and honoring it, but it doesn't have to be your whole experience and cloud all of your vision. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's good stuff. So before we go to the last stage of acceptance, which is where eventually you want to move into at, or you want to kind of experience in your grief process, it's a, it is the healing that you experience in grief. Mm-hmm. Maybe we can talk about the ways to kind of cope with grief and the ways to yeah. Great. move through grief. Yes, I could, I, could, I could use a lot of pointers. So how do we do that? <laughs> okay, so we've, we've actually touched on quite a few of them already, but the, the main one is self-care. Take care of yourself. Be aware that grief is 
a physical, emotional, mental, spiritual process that takes up your energy whether you're thinking about it or not. Oh, wow. Yeah. So if you know that you're grieving, whether or not you're actually like, I'm going to think about my feelings right now or I'm going to do my grief work, you're still grieving. Mm-hmm. You're at the, you're working out, you're grieving. You're at a work meeting, you're grieving. Your body's going to be working it out whether you're, you know, you're aware of it. So you need mm-hmm. to just be aware that you're going to have less energy. You're going to have less motivation. You're going to be a little absent-minded. You're going to, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. just be aware that to take care of yourself, to take moments to rest, to make sure you're getting sleep, mm-hmm. find ways to get sleep. You know, if you're having trouble sleeping. I think it's a great opportunity for you to, to go out and do something new. Like go yeah. on a yoga retreat, go travel to a different country. Excellent. Like go get a massage, go get your toes done, yeah. mm-hmm. go shopping, you know, within your limits mm-hmm. and call a girlfriend or a guy friend and, you know, go out to drinks and like spoil yourself with avocado toast. <laughs> <laughs> Well, and and I think that's... So self-care is a really loaded term for a lot of people. And some people can think it feels like selfishness. Some people think that that there's a lot of privilege in this idea of self-care. But actually, as you were describing it, Krista, I had this image of like, okay, when you have a really bad cold, you sort of give yourself permission to be like, okay, you know what? Like, I'm going to lay on my couch and watch movies and not feel bad about it. And I'm going to like go out and get this food that I know when I eat it, it makes me feel better. And I'm going to like try to eat healthy, but also eat my comfort foods and stuff Mm -hmm. like that. And so taking a similar approach with yourself. Yeah. And self-care, I mean, whether or not you have the means to do all of these new activities or, you know, buy avocado toast or um, (laughs) you you may not be in the situation to do that, but self-care can simply just be... I'm going to give myself grace mm. yes. right now. I'm just yeah. going to remind myself that I love myself, encourage myself, mm-hmm. you know, give myself permission to feel what I'm feeling, to have a bad day, to forget this or that. Take action to find ways to fill yourself up. Yes. So reach out to the people that, you know, love you, that will encourage you, listen to you. And that goes into the next coping strategy, which is it takes a village. It's really dangerous, actually, to try to grieve alone. Mm-hmm. Um, you need people around you to keep you in touch with reality. <laughs> mm. You know, mm-hmm. to keep you focused on the practical. Yeah. Checking in on you. You know, are you going to work? Are you getting sleep? Are you eating? Bringing you meals? People you can talk to. Then we want to talk about well, who are the people. You want to pick the right people to surround yourself with. You want mm-hmm. to pick people that aren't going to judge you or to give you unsolicited advice or or be like everything's gonna be okay there's plenty of fish in the sea yeah what what was it that you sent me or posted about toxic empathy versus yeah right what Uh, was that toxic (coughs) sympathy maybe versus toxic sympathy sympathy versus empathy yeah yeah where it was like wow i'm really sorry you're going through this or like there'll be another guy (laughs) you know like like that doesn't that's not helping anything Mm -hmm. Renee Brown talks a lot about the the difference or the Mm -hmm. distinction between those two things well and and even that comes from like a really good place because I think so many Mm -hmm. times when someone we care about is suffering we want to fix it Mm -hmm. and we want to like give them some sentence that's going to make them feel better right now 
you know, and that's why the like, there's plenty of fish in the sea or like, you know, oh, well, I never liked him anyway, right, is another one that people will say that's like, those things are not helpful. Right, depending on the stage. Um, Yeah, you you want to be with people that are going to let you, that you're giving yourself permission to feel what you're feeling, but you want to be with friends who are also going to give you that permission. Yeah, and this may be too much, but as you started talking about this, it takes a village. And to me, the image I have was of like someone to like hold you while you're in this space. And not like, I mean, sometimes that can be physically and, and literally, but other times like to sort of, witness and be with you and I've had so many people that I care about they're going through things and and oftentimes the first reaction is like well I don't know what to say and it's like just show up yeah just show up you don't have to say you know like it's not about what you say Mm -hmm. yeah I actually one of my best friends um Megan was there at when I used to live on my own was at the apartment with me when a guy that I had been seeing for a month broke it off with me over the phone and I was just bawling on the bed and she was just there. She just mm-hmm. sat on the bed and she was like, you know, I'm here. And I was just like, my heart hurts. And I just, she just allowed me to have that space. And it was really lovely. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And that's why I question a little bit our motivations in trying to fix. I agree. Mm-hmm. Because I, I think. I think it's selfish oh, motivation. It's, okay. for us. It can be. It can be. It can be. It can I be. See. It's not yeah. always. But it, it can be our own discomfort with pain, seeing pain in someone else, seeing experiencing pain ourselves. So mm-hmm. we want to make that pain go away. And you can't rush grief. Yeah. You can't. You know, so you have to. That's why it can be so powerful. And I actually had a very similar experience of a kind of an acquaintance, actually. I felt really rejected by someone and I was devastated. I felt betrayed and rejected. And she, I just cried, like bawled. And she just sat next to me and just rubbed my back. And I'm so sorry, Krista. And I was all. She didn't give me an advice. She didn't just sat Yeah, there's, there's a lot of power in allowing someone to hold this space and us not getting in that space. And I think it's really important for us to like take into account what that person really needs and it's not about our needs at that moment yeah i just you know i've been through a few situations where i i've held on to someone or someone has held on to me and it's just it's so important too and i will say on this it takes a village to get through it if you know your friend is grieving and you know that they have a hard time reaching out to people Mm -hmm. like go check on them yeah Mm. like you know with appropriate behavior like go to their house Mm -hmm. and make sure they're okay you know if that's something you're used to doing or facetime them so you can see their face to see their reaction Mm -hmm. like check in on them if they are really really depressed like do they have a safety plan who is gonna watch over them you know so it's i think as a friends too if we're personally not grieving we need to be proactive with our friends that are i agree and I think also on the flip side, if you are someone who has a hard time asking for help, what a lot of people do, and when you're grieving, I just want to say you have permission to ask for help. Mm -hmm. You need to ask for help. You Mm -hmm. cannot get through this. You're not expected to do this by yourself. You're not weak if you ask for help. You're grieving. Yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So if you're sick, do you, I mean, well, maybe some people still don't go to the doctor if they're sick, but... When you need an intervention, you go to the experts or the people, the community that can give you that intervention to help you heal. So something that I 
say to help people get over that hump is if your friend was going through what you're going through, would you want them to ask you for help? And if they did, would you be there for them? Mm-hmm. And the answer is always, of course, <laughs> Yeah. you know, but when we're, when we're in the position to need help, mm-hmm. well, again, that's a vulnerable thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, you're right. There's vulnerability in seeking out help. Yeah. Well, and it, it's so interesting because I think what you both are saying is almost a really nice prescription for the self-care model too, which mm-hmm. is holding the space for yourself and right, waking up each morning or, or whatever it is at any time of day going, okay, where am I? that's okay mm-hmm. you know and then like well, what do i what do i need right now mm-hmm. and sometimes that's other people and sometimes that's a good cry mm-hmm. sometimes that's your favorite movie to distract you mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but i also think it's it's so hard because you're right it is the vulnerability in reaching out and asking for help but it's ironically we have this idea of strength and weakness totally backwards in our culture right yeah. ironically asking for help is the strong thing yes right it's fear and, and weakness that, that keep us from doing mm-hmm. it, right? And so I don't, I, I think that's something that that's even harder with certain cultures mm-hmm. where culturally you just, you got to suck it up and, and you know, everyone's got to be okay. And, and certain people in certain families, emotions are not okay to be shown. Mm-hmm. Um, and particularly this is a big thing in masculinity. Yeah. You know, of like whatever the the research is that little boys cry as much as little girls up until age four, Aww. and from there it's just a total dividing Aww. line. That's so sad. You know, and because right, a little girl cries and people run over and they're like, "Oh, what's wrong? Like, how are you feeling? Tell me about it, right?" And like, but it's a little boy. It's like, "It's okay, buddy. You're okay. Come on, get on up. Like, don't worry about it. Shake it off." And it's like, "You're a big boy, right? You want to be a big boy, you know?" And it's all that stuff. And so, hmm. yeah. Yeah. But recognizing that it is strong. But like I think it's important recognizing that asking for help, letting other people know that you're hurting, that's what strength is. Yes. yes. Absolutely. Definitely. So another aspect of self-care, yeah, an aspect of self-care and also kind of a practical thing you can do when you reach out for help that you can ask for is having a plan. So whether you're able to come up with a plan by yourself or you need a friend to help you, come up with a plan but um, especially on trigger days mm-hmm. I call them so that could be the one year anniversary that could be the first couple of holidays that you're spending mm-hmm. without this person oh, yeah. that you had been spending with this mm-hmm. person or it could be you have to go to some event at this place where you guys used to you had these like magical memories <laughs> you know and you're yeah. gonna the the umbrellas downtown right exactly. where we took the selfie <laughs> yeah exactly no i mean they, yeah. you're gonna, i can never go back to the bar oh but it's three true. of them you, yeah you create all these memories that are attached to places clothing smells things and mm-hmm. those are all going to be triggers and there's some you can plan ahead for and some you can't. But the ones that you can plan ahead for, you want to have in your head at least one thing you're planning to do on that day or at that event mm. to help you get through I it. See. If you don't have a plan, you don't have a direction for all of the feelings. <laughs> and it's really important to have a focus direction. Yeah. So um, that could be, say it's the, it's the one year anniversary of when we got together or when we broke up or whatever Mm -hmm. the one year anniversary is, you are going to get up, you're going to go on a walk, you're going to take a shower, 
and you're going to call a friend. Mm-hmm. You know, you have those things in your mind. It just gives you kind of a way to get through the day. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, and I, I love talking about holidays, too, because I've known people I care about who have sort of like broken families, who there's been a divorce and there's kids involved and stuff like that. And they kind of make a new Thanksgiving tradition, mm-hmm. you know, because mm-hmm. the sort of traditional turkey, everyone's here, what you know, and then that first Thanksgiving rolls around. And, and I don't even think this was intentional, I think. They just found it in their, with their their new configuration of their family. Mm. It's like, oh, like, we go get Chinese food and go to the movies. Yeah. yeah. You know? And, and then you're making it special in a new way. Yeah. You know, which I think is... Yeah, is I cool. think that's so important And I think that's especially important when it comes to grief in relationships where there's been a breakup or mm-hmm. you guys are not together anymore. And you had mentioned this earlier too, Leanna, the idea of trying new things, coming at, creating mm. new memories in the places that have the old memories mm-hmm. creating new traditions yeah yeah sometimes you gotta yeah like you 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 gotta take that alley back like you gotta, <laughs> you gotta take it back take the alley back yeah <laughs> all right you, know? you and me next weekend yeah make we're some, taking it back makes it makes it we'll be the only two people memory. down there yeah, yeah. <laughs> hashtag taking it back yeah. <laughs> hashtag taking it back we're gonna yeah. coin that okay i'm sure it's already around yeah, yeah. <laughs> So the other thing I want to touch on for coping is as ritual. One of the hard oh. things about grief when you're grieving something like even a, a hope of something that didn't mm-hmm. happen or a relationship that ended, mm-hmm. there's not a lot of like socially accepted outward symbols or outward rituals that you can mm-hmm. do to express your grief. And it's really important to have vehicles to express your grief, mm-hmm. right? So... What do you guys think would be examples of rituals or maybe things that you guys have done just naturally? So I, 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 I love that you're saying this because having a container, yes, a container. you know, that's what a, a ritual is in a way. Um, I actually, I, I think a lot about this. I think our, our, our modern culture suffers from a lack of ritual, like very deeply mm-hmm. and, and and I think the, the a thing that has become the new go-to ritual is people getting tattoos. Interesting. Right? And this is why people get, like, or addicted. Dogs? Maybe. Well, no, but okay. So here's, here's why tattoos fit. It's something that marks a specific occasion that involves some sort of ordeal, right? You go through some sort of difficulty and getting a tattoo, there's the physical pain and discomfort. And then there's a permanent reminder. Interesting. You know, and like, look how many people are walking around with tattoos that they've got when something very difficult happened in their mm-hmm. life. And I'm like, great. If that works for you. Because I, I think there's something cathartic about yeah. doing something that's physically difficult. But that could also be like, go climb a mountain or train yeah. to run a marathon or something yeah. like mm-hmm. that, right? So what are some rituals that you all think of? I mean, I second that in terms of like exercise. I think it's really important to get into some kind of exercise routine. For a while, it was going to a lot of yoga classes for me. Now that I have some injuries, I started running, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, And even if it's taking your dog to the dog park or like we've talked about in other episodes, joining some kind of a league. Mm-hmm. You know, making something, or even it could be as simple as waking up in the morning and doing a five-minute meditation. Yeah. Yeah, and I, th- I think those are good examples of maybe routines to, to set, to be intentional about 
when you are grieving. But um, what makes it a ritual is when there's an intentionality in or a purpose, a specific purpose in what you're doing that's connected to the loss. Right. Or connected to what, you know, what mm-hmm. you're doing that ritual for. So if you are going to do the meditation, use that time to focus on... Like a loving kindness meditation towards yeah. yourself or something. Exactly. Yeah. Um, to help you through the grief. Mm-hmm. Or um, if it is a hike, maybe make it the grief hike. You know, yeah. This is the hike that I do when I'm trying to process my grief over or this relationship. It could, could it be like writing a letter and then burning it? Yes, that's mm-hmm. a great example. If you need to get something out, if you need to express something that it wouldn't be... That it would be harmful really to yourself Mm -hmm. or to the other person to actually say or to have that conversation. Then it'd be good to write it out in the letter and burn Mm -hmm. it for closure. Or I've said things to my therapist, you know, Mm -hmm. that I couldn't say to a person. Mm -hmm. I could could say it to my therapist and it felt good just to say it to a person, Mm -hmm. you know, who was a great listener. (laughs) I think you can make it as extravagant or as simple as you want and uh, Marie Kondo is a really great example of when she's she does um, tidying up and she's showing how you get rid of the things that you don't need anymore that don't bring you joy you have a little ritual where you hold it and you thank it for the purpose that it served and then you release it (laughs) (laughs) it's the best it's the coolest thing ever right this idea of like when your socks get a hole in them or whatever or you're just like i don't like these socks anymore you're like thank you for your service you you kept my feet warm and kept me from getting blisters and thank you and i I don't need you anymore you know goodbye I, i think it's a beautiful way to honor the sacredness of the impact of things in our life you know because Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, obviously, like, if we lose a person, whether that is through death or through a relationship or something, obviously, the two are very different, but you're not going to be able to hold that person and be like, thank you. So I think what you're saying is, like, have something that represents them and then think that. Or I've even tried to, this current situation or whatever... I was like, I don't want to be mad at this guy because that moment was so special between us that I'll cherish that. It reminded me what it felt like to have someone who cherished me and thought I was special. And, you know, I only get glimpses of that every so often. And so... Well, yeah, he ran for the hills as fast as he could. Um, I still have that moment. And what's nice about it is that I'm viewing it differently than I have in the past. I think in the past I would have been just super angry and mad and defensive and would have sent a lot of texts lecturing that person, you Mm -hmm. know, and, and this time I did it. So I think... You know, just me, like I have that, I was telling Krista, this is so dumb. You guys are going to make fun of me, but I kept the cookie package. (laughs) (laughs) For the future scrapbook. I kept the cookie package because that's how special that night was to me. And I was like, and I'm not a sentimental person. And, but for some reason, I just felt like I needed to keep it. So I guess I could take this cookie package now and just be like, you know, thank you to this guy for that moment of what it made me feel like. And, and then goodbye. Yeah. You want to come up with a ritual that 
that connects with who you are. Everyone, you know, some people might be like, uh, that's too sappy for me or like, Oh yeah, it's so sappy. And some people are like, that's perfect for me, you know? Um, so that's why there's, there's a a less sappy version. Well, I think even if throwing a rock, (laughs) (laughs) like this is, thank you. (laughs) Chucking it. (laughs) I I think, you know, setting, well, I guess that's sappy too. I was going to say, Putting out a candle. <laughs> I can't help but that thing's happy. I think probably exercise is maybe. Yeah. Like, you know, like working towards running a any, marathon. Any, or, I think a rock is actually a really great thing. It's in, part of nature. It's like, I mean, all over you know, all over the world and a long time people have used rocks to, as a monument or a something to remember something by. Mm-hmm. So pick up a rock, designate it as this is the memory that I'm grieving. This is the thing I'm grieving acknowledge it i think focusing on what you're grateful for you know out of the experience once you're once you've processed some of your grief you're able to get to the place when you're in acceptance where you can Mm -hmm. think about what you're grateful for and also you can think about what you learned Mm -hmm. about yourself about the world about dating what gift did this person give you and it may not necessarily be it could be the gift of, I will never date someone like you again. Mm-hmm. Or, <laughs> yeah, know. I mean, I think about some of the most painful ends of relationships in my life and, and some that still feel painful. However, you know, it's like one particular painful one. I'm also so aware and so grateful for having been hurt so deeply in that way because it opened me up to understanding myself and love and intimacy and who I am in relationships in a completely different way. And the, and the closeness I have in my relationships now would not have been possible without that. So I have that gratitude, but it also still hurts. Like Mm -hmm. when I'm reminded of it in ways, Mm -hmm. even though like, I don't want to be with this person, you know, like I'm, I'm very happy in my current relationship, Mm -hmm. but like that's still there, you know? Mm-hmm. By the way, a ritual, like a sort of manly version of this ritual would be like, carry a big ass rock, like up a mountain. <laughs> no, wait, listen, I really can't Carry some drywall. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, but you carry this or, thing up or... and then you put it down because oh. you're like, oh, I've been, this is what I've been doing. I've been mm-hmm. carrying, carrying that burden. I've been carrying this thing with me mm-hmm. and you know what? I'm, I'm here and I'm whole and I don't need you anymore. And then on the way down, you get to feel that freedom of like mm. what it's like to be unencumbered. Yeah. Ooh, I love that. I would do that. That's a Let's great ritual. do it. Yes. Okay. We're all climbing a Listen, mountain. Is, yeah. <laughs> We're going to have a grief this retreat. Is, this is for the less touchy-feely types. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> and if you're touchy-feely, well, I'll bring my letter and burn it at the top, yeah, too. Yeah, okay, great. Do it all. <laughs> I, I, you know... Whatever you need to do is never too much. But I do think, you know, you touched on an aspect of grief that first, in some situations, there's always going to be a little bit of pain mm-hmm. attached to, depending on how deep that grief was, yeah. you know, how deep the, or the, how meaningful that situation was. But I also want to just touch real quickly on the things that can prevent us from moving through grief. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, and you talked about this a little bit earlier, Jared, but yeah, that's regrets, guilt, and unforgiveness towards yourself, towards someone Ooh. else, or towards God. Remaining in a state of denial. Mm-hmm. If you're stuck in that state, then mm-hmm. you need to eventually be able to move out. If you're not, you need to seek professional counseling. So not allowing yourself the freedom to feel your grief. Mm-hmm. Avoiding it. So that's, and you can, we talked about the ways mm-hmm. that we can avoid it. 
um, and not being intentional about grieving. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I think we touched on all of mm-hmm. that. Yeah, you know, and I, th- I think the unforgiveness part is is really important. Like, because yeah. I think there's so many times where, you know, you can't get over the way that this person hurt you. And and for me, the more common one is like. Like, how did I do this to myself again? Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. And it's the unforgiveness of yourself. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. so hard. I love, though, again, this is from the teaching of the type of meditation. Holding a grudge against somebody, right? Holding on to that anger against somebody is like you drinking poison and expecting the other person to be hurt. Mm, right. You know, it's like, you know, you're the one who's mm. just carrying around these, like, dark, uncomfortable, unhealthy feelings. Mm, I love right? that so much. Yeah, yeah. it's not... It's not doing anything for them that you're angry at them yeah like yeah. you're it's not affecting them in a negative way mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. affecting you yes right yeah, yeah. you're the one yeah. who's hurt yeah. yeah and same thing with like not forgiving yourself is like you are the only one that's going to suffer from that yeah right? well and actually this is something i've practiced like after you told it to me a few weeks ago krista mm-hmm. is like when i have had moments of feeling really painful feelings about a situation is like I've practiced saying to myself like when I catch myself feeling that way I say like I forgive you and I forgive myself Mm -hmm. like I've Mm. just repeated that Mm. to myself that's really important I think you touched on the power of speaking something out loud Mm. writing it is powerful but even just speaking it out loud Um, and even if you don't feel like you can forgive yourself or the other person or God, you can begin the process. Give yourself permission to, I'm going to commit to the process of forgiveness, mm-hmm. even though I may not be able to completely forgive right mm-hmm. now, but I'm open to forgiveness. Yeah. yeah. And um, so that's really beautiful. That's, that's a ritual, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. I forgive myself, I forgive you. So yeah, you want to look for a way to release regrets, release guilt, release unforgiveness because they are baggage that will hold you back on the journey of grief. Mm-hmm. I have like, can I ask some speed round questions? Yeah. Okay. Well, and I mean, I don't know how a speed round this will be, but what do you do when you're like ready to be done? <laughs> you know, where you're like, I'm ready to put this boulder down, but I, you know, you're still in the grief. Well, I think it's pretty common when you're grieving to be like, when is this going to be over? Yeah. <laughs> can we can we hurry this up? So there's an element where you can't rush grief. Yeah. You have to just give it mm. the time it needs. But also what you had mentioned earlier, you don't have to be like doing making it, it harder once. for yourself or doing it all at once. So yeah. Give yourself a, a dedicate a moment. If you're mm-hmm. still feeling something, you're, it's still there. Yeah. No, I think that's yeah. true. And I actually think moving from the depression into the acceptance, part of the depression, I think, for a lot of people is... Feeling like you're always going to feel like this. Yeah, the hopelessness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know. And you won't. Yeah, exactly. If you do the work. Yeah. Yes. There may, in some circumstances, there always may be an element of pain. Mm-hmm. But you learn kind of a, a way of coping with it. Yeah. Versus just feeling overwhelmed by it. Mm-hmm. But you're so, able to continue living yeah. and thriving. And so one thing I think maybe is a final thing because we hold with those all for your speed round questions yeah this is well, this is my la- my second speed round question. oh oh okay <laughs> uh, <laughs> that was your only <laughs> you can't do a speed round with one question it was one round <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, I, it was it was speed round singular <laughs> one, one round um 
No, so, and I don't know how speed roundy this one is too, but so we've talked a lot about grief in the context of relationships, but I know, as you said at the top, most of your professional role is grief in the context of an impending death or coping with the death of, of a loved one. Okay, I have two questions. One, what's the difference? There's a lot of differences. <laughs> I, I think I think it doesn't help to compare. I mm-hmm. think it's also very important to re, to never say, well, I know how you're feeling because, you know, you lost a spouse and I got divorced. Mm. We're, we're going through the same thing. No, yeah. you're not. If if you see someone who's grieving and use your your own connection to your sense of grief mm-hmm. to connect with their sense oh, of grief. Don't, that's great advice. Don't try to say, I know how you're feeling or I, you know, it's just... If, if you know how they're feeling, then, or if you have a sense of how they're feeling, be empathic. Be, you know, that sounds really difficult what you're going through. I can't imagine what you're going through. Yeah. I'm here for you, whatever you need, you know. Yeah, just feeling it with them, yeah. maybe. Okay, second question, and final question for me. Being in this space with people in the way that you are professionally, that's a really sort of sacred kind of space and that's a, a time unlike any other time in life and so my question is sort of what have you learned from being with people like either in these final hours or in like fresh off the loss of you know the person that they've loved and been with for 50 years or whatever the power of listening hmm. yeah i think grief no matter what you're grieving is a very isolating experience you feel like you're the only one that feels the way you're feeling the more someone is there for you to listen, to witness mm. what you're experiencing and to help you feel normal, what you're going through is normal. Um, I've just seen that make a huge impact mm. for people yeah. in their grieving process. And that's why support groups, specifically for someone who's going through a death, mm-hmm. um, the death of a loved one, are so powerful because you are around other people who can reflect back to you what you may not even have words for yet. Yeah. Um, or can just listen because they have a kind of a deep appreciation for what you're going through. Yeah. Yeah. So I think um, the importance of not trying to fix, not trying to rush, just giving people the space to honor what they've lost. Mm-hmm. Real quick, I just want to add, I want to plug mental health real quick. Yes, <laughs> because please. For those of you who do feel like you need more help than just friends or, Mm. you know, advice from the internet or from a podcast. There's no embarrassment or shame in finding a counselor, Mm -hmm. finding a licensed therapist. Yes. They're great listeners. And you you don't have any good listeners in your life. They're great. And you can find them online now. You You don't even have to go in somewhere. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So if you're having any suicidal thoughts, if you're feeling like you're not able to move past the depression or the denial or you're feeling a tendency to do things that would harm yourself or others. You mm-hmm. want to seek professional help. So I just want to say that at the end of this. Yeah, that's well. a great point. Thank you. Yeah. Okay, so how can people find you? So people can find me on my website, www.reservedground.com. And that's my website for my officiant services for weddings and funerals. And then you can contact me directly through there. I'm also on Instagram. Um, what am I on Instagram under? <laughs> at Krista Messam? No. Or at Reserve Ground? I think I'm at Reserve Ground. And Krista Messam. Yeah, you could follow both. Either one. Yeah. And that's reserved with a D. Reserved. reserved yes. R E S E R V E D. Reserve as in the past. 
It's been yeah. reserved. These grounds are already reserved. <laughs> Thank already you. Reserved. Uh, yeah. For okay. you. Whoever you there, are. And that's actually... Oh, is that metaphorical? Yes. It's like it's like when you meet uh, the love of your life in quarantine and it's yourself. Oh, yeah, it's really <laughs> <laughs> These grounds are already reserved for you. <laughs> Okay, well, thank you again for being here. I am actually going to keep you on. So we, so two episodes, so next episode, you guys, I'm bringing on another really special guest. I can't wait for you guys to hear. And then the episode after that is going to be our 10th episode. So Jared and I are going to be celebrating by answering your questions. So if you haven't sent in questions yet, make sure to send those. I have a few, but we're going to start that by answering one of the questions right now. And the reason I wanted my sister here uh, is because she'll like it. The question is, oh, and if you guys have any ideas of what we should call this segment, like the H&G Q&A or Buzz Buzz What's what? Up. <laughs> I don't know, I couldn't think of anything. Buzz Buzz What's Up. Well, Buzz, you know, like the hive. Oh, I the see. The H&G hive. So I was thinking like a bee theme. Like, uh, I, that was so bad. I don't like either of those names. Okay, wow. <laughs> wow. Okay. No, I'm just saying, yeah. So, our first listener question, and again, tune in with us in, in two weeks for all of the rest of them, is... Thoughts on the show, Love is Blind. (laughs) So I wanted to answer this one this week because it's so prevalent in the media right now. And my sister and I have been obsessing over it for a couple weeks. Do you want to share your thoughts first? Jared, you haven't seen it yet. I have not seen it, so I'm out. But I'm excited to hear your thoughts. Can you guys give thoughts without spoilers? Because I want to watch it. Oh, gosh. I mean, or go ahead. Yeah, if you haven't seen it yet, (laughs) spoiler warning, probably. Okay. Okay. Krista? So, totally got sucked into the show. <laughs> and as I was watching it, was also cringing through most of it. Because oh, yeah. I think a part of me felt like the show was exploiting these people's raw emotions. Mm. But I also had to remind myself, they, you know, the people on the show signed up for the show. They made the decision. They, I'm sure, were informed of all of this in the contract. But it felt a little bit exploitive mm-hmm. to me. But it was also fascinating to see couples actually form real, authentic, intimate relationships. It, I mean, the scientific experiment part of it was fascinating. Yeah, I mean, there are two couples that are married. Spoiler alert. Oh, that's exciting. <laughs> and, Still? And they got, and they got, the whole premise of the show is they meet each other in these pods where they can't see each other. And so they're talking back and forth and forming these relationships and then get engaged without ever seeing one another. Yeah. So what's funny about it is it's like, well, I mean, they picked like 30 attractive people to put in the house. So like, what are the chances you're not going to find the other person attractive? You know? Are you allowed in the pod to be like, what do you look like? You can. can they you said there's, they other? said there's no rules, but a lot of the contestants were like, I don't want to do that because I'm here for this specific like experiment of like yeah. not trying to okay. guess what okay. they look like. Yeah. yeah, the whole idea that love is blind. Can you mm-hmm. fall in love with a person without without the... seeing them? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I I think it's really fascinating because it, it takes away the sexual tension and it takes away any physical 
Like the superficiality. The sh- yeah, the, it takes yeah, away yeah. the superficiality of it. And mm-hmm. and you get to know each other on that deep level very quickly. And in what, five days the first couple was engaged? I think it was a little bit longer than that. I think it was... No, it was five days. I think it was two weeks. I mean, I mean, maybe maybe <laughs> they had the timeline wrong on the show or whatever. Maybe they didn't say it right. Yeah. Anyway, I would totally do it. Yeah, I think what was interesting to me is that when you're when you have the wall between you, people mm-hmm. felt a certain level of freedom. It's like it's like when you're talking to someone when you're talking on Facebook, you're like you say a whole bunch of things you would never necessarily say in person. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's a there's a little bit more freedom to be yourself. Yeah. And to just speak freely mm-hmm. what you think, what you're feeling. It's like, well, what the heck, you know, just say who I am and mm-hmm. Yeah. I got frustrated, really frustrated with one of the couples where the girl just was obviously just wasn't attracted to this guy and she kept making excuses, excuses. She put her uh, her insecurity of the relationship kept on putting it back on him and was like expecting him to break it off. And he's like, no, I'm here. Like I'm secure. I'm, I want to marry you. And she's like, and it was just like so annoying. And like, I was not into that, but, um, but I don't know. It's just, the whole thing was really fascinating. And I've been following the couple's post production because it actually filmed in 2018, like two years ago. Mm -hmm. And so they've had to kind of, keep it a secret all this mm-hmm. time and um i think you should totally go on the show yeah i think i just have Do to move it. to atlanta oh is it true to yeah the, yeah i'm the, sure it'll come to california something. it'll come to la soon well so, maybe not soon <laughs> yeah well, not too soon <laughs> well actually that's the only safe way of dating right well that's now, true is in a, is in a pod. um but what's so funny is the but, new way of dating yeah when you were talking about the idea of the freedom of being in that pod what i thought back to because i'm an old person as we found out earlier a big part of like relationships in my adolescence was talking on the phone right mm-hmm. they about that. and yeah. i had one particular like girlfriend when i was like 17 or something like that where we would like fall asleep on the phone we would like we, the first time we talked on the phone we talked through the entire night yeah. until 5 a.m and then like got up and like went to school and stuff and like, there's something about when you're in the dark, and the other person is just a voice in the dark, like that you can kind of bear your soul. Yes, a little bit in yeah. a different way. Yeah, it's you know? very interesting. Yeah, and I think even one of the contestants, Lauren, talked about how it felt like you're talking on the phone, but you don't have yeah. the constraints of having to hold the phone. You can right. have the freedom of yeah, moving you around. Can, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. yeah FaceTime I- audio, by the way, is great. I agree. Because, like, cell phones now sound so terrible compared to what, like, house phones sounded like when I was a kid. And FaceTime audio, like, you can hear the other person breathing and moving Mm. around. And it just feels closer. Mm, Interesting. Yeah. So, overall, it's a fantastic show in terms of entertainment. And I highly recommend you guys watch it now that you'll have more time on your hands. Like, watch Love is Blind. Do you guys have any other Netflix recommendations since we're all going into... A state of quarantine here. I really loved the two popes, uh, which was the movie on Netflix. Yet, yeah. You have to be sort of into like spirituality and like Catholic church liturgy and stuff like that. But it's these two men grappling with faith and whether they can lead and like, am I a fraud and and have I made the wrong decisions? Hmm, and, interesting. And am I worthy enough to like sort of be in a position of of you know, being venerated and stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's okay. a slow movie, but I that loved it. Good. Yeah. 
Anything else? I mean, Parks and Recreation is still on Netflix. That's good. Such a great, <laughs> such a great Never series. Never gets old. Mm-hmm. Start from the beginning, though. It really picks up episode one, season two. And then, yeah, if you guys have any Netflix recommendations for us, send them, send them. Oh, I think my favorite movie ever, which is called Magnolia, which is a Paul Thomas Anderson movie on Netflix right now. It's like, it's an intense, difficult emotion. Yeah, you and I have very different. (laughs) You're like, you're like, you're like, I'm looking for like some comedy recommendations. (laughs) Nope. All right, you guys. Well, thank you so much for hanging out. I know this was a long episode. We're going to have a little bit of a shorter episode next week. We all wish you healthiness to stay safe. Uh, Make sure to check us out on Instagram at hello and goodbye podcast. My personal account is at underscore Leanna Joan. Twitter at hello underscore bye underscore pod. And please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes. Don't worry about Jared. And we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.